You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are in the midst of a Christmas series, learning about the birth of the Lord Jesus. And of course, we're going to God's Word to find out about that. God's Word is really one big story. It's the story of Jesus. So it's His coming uh, the, the preparations for his coming in the Old Testament, it's his being here in the Gospels. And then after the Gospels, it's the, the activity of those who have been with Jesus on to us today. So what we see in this big story of Jesus, we're also going to see little stories of those surrounding the coming of Jesus. And, and we'll find these people in their circumstances able to interpret our lives in God's story. So what we're studying is the entrance of Jesus into human history. And so in order to do that, we are going to Luke chapter 1 and 2 for these weeks. Luke is the great history teller of the New Testament. Everything he shares with us is historical, actual, factual. And that includes details about people surrounding Jesus' coming that no one else tells us about. If Luke had not recorded these, they would be lost to us. So today I'm going to start at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. That's where we are. And we're going to see that God should be our only king. Here's how Luke tells this part of the story. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, this is a bad guy. He comes from the family line of the Edomites. This is a group of people that came out of Esau way back in the Old Testament. And the Edomites are constantly warring against God's people. This is Herod. He's referred to as Herod the Great. He is the king of the Jews. Let me tell you a little bit more about the ego of this guy. So on a mountain in Jerusalem is the temple, God's house. And right next to it, was Herod's house. So it's like he was building his own little kingdom. And if you're living for your own glory, you're living for your own dominion, you want to have God just alongside of you rather than over you, you have the heart of Herod. He was very affluent as well. In addition to the house that he had in Jerusalem, he had a palace on the Mediterranean Sea, overlooking the sea. The freshwater pool. I mean, this guy was living the high life, and he was very powerful. So in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, the equivalent of a pastor. So he had a rural congregation of God's people, and his job? Preach, pray, love, serve. He's living a simple life. And it says... About Zechariah, he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, let me tell you how this worked. There were 24 divisions of priests. Each division had 750 priests. So 18,000 altogether. Outside of the three major festivals that all able-bodied male Jews would have to travel to Jerusalem for... Each division of priests would make a pilgrimage 
to Jerusalem to the temple twice a year. So every priest would have to go twice a year along with the 749 others in your division. We'll say why in just a second. Luke goes on to tell us that Zechariah had a wife. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. This is Aaron, Moses' brother. I mean, we're talking way back Exodus time. Aaron was the first in the line of all the Old Testament priests. So here is Elizabeth, way down the line, as a descendant of Aaron. So all these generations before her were, were priests. So in effect, Elijah, I mean, Zechariah, basically marries a pastor's daughter. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Now, that's a big statement. (laughs) You know, we can fool others who don't know us very well, but you can't fool God. He sees and knows all. Both were said to be righteous in the sight of God. That doesn't mean they were sinless, but it means it is possible to live a godly life. It is possible to live an obedient life. It is possible to live an exemplary life. You know, we in the church oftentimes do a disservice to faithful people. You may hear of somebody's testimony, and it may go something like this. Well, I was a murderer. Or I I was a terrorist. And I met Jesus, and my life changed. And so now what I do is I hand out Bibles so others' lives can change. And it may cause us to think, okay, well, I guess I need to kill somebody to have a testimony. It sort of gives us the impression that a valid testimony is only that of which a bad person becomes a good person. Compare that thought with Zechariah and Elizabeth. What a boring testimony they have, right? I mean, what would Elizabeth say? My parents love the Lord. My grandparents love the Lord. I love the Lord. What about you, Zechariah? My parents love the Lord. My grandparents love the Lord. Me and my wife love the Lord. Ever kill anybody? No. (laughs) What a boring testimony. Let me tell you, I pray that God would give all four of my grandchildren boring testimonies. (laughs) If you have an adventurous testimony, we'll receive that as evidence of God's grace But if you have a boring testimony, that too is evidence of God's grace. More of the two of them. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They obeyed the Lord. Again, that doesn't mean that they were perfect. But they walk in the grace of God. And when they sin, when they fail, they repent. They return to the Lord. And they continue forward in holiness and progress. You can do that too. You can walk with the Lord even when you're not perfect. Just remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is hope. There is victory for you as the people of God. We see it in Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're walking together in marriage. Wouldn't it be awesome for you and your spouse to be walking hand in hand in the purposes of God. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now it gets dark. 
I mean, here they are in ministry, loving and serving God together. And there is this desire of their hearts that is unfulfilled. Is it a bad thing to want a child? Look, the Bible says children are a blessing. Now, let's be clear. Children can be an expensive, whiny, throwing a fit, snotty nose blessing. But they're a blessing. They want to be parents. Some of you ladies may be able to emotionally identify with Elizabeth. You'd love to be a mom, but you've been unable to. And now they've reached that age where it's too late. That leaves them with options. They could get bitter against God. God, you didn't bless us. We obeyed you. We are godly people. We tithe. We serve. We care. We have done everything right. You know our hearts. Besides, Luke just told everybody we're good, so we're good. And you've done nothing. Or they could have a sense of entitlement. God, I've given to you all that you've asked of me, and you've not given to me what I've asked of you. They could sin and rebel. Well, God, since you owe me, I have the right to rebel because you are now in debt to me because of your failure. Or they could do what another couple in the Bible did. In the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah, similar story, right? God had a ministry calling on their life. They were without children. But rather than accepting God's will or waiting on God's will, they come up with their own plan to commit adultery, and therefore Abraham can have a child through another woman. What does Zechariah and Elizabeth do? They don't get bitter. They don't have a sense of entitlement. They don't make demands of God. They don't rebel against God. They don't take matters into their own hands. But every day, Elizabeth must have a small funeral in her heart. She has godly grief. And it's okay to have godly grief. I mean, some of you have desires and longings that are unfulfilled. You wanted to get married, but you're single. You wanted to stay married, but you're divorced. You wanted to have a child, but you can't. You wanted your children to love and serve the Lord, but they're grown and they don't. You wanted to be healthy, but you're sick. You wanted to have uh, an abundance of resources so you can give generously, but you're barely making it. These things are not ungodly. They're just unfulfilled. And it's okay to respond with godly grief. That's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, so he was one among the 750, and he was serving as priest before God. So Zechariah had traveled from his rural town on one of those semi-annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem to come before the Lord at the temple where someone in his division is going to be chosen to serve the Lord. Now, this is how it worked. As a group, all 750 of them get to Jerusalem, and there at the base of the mountain, they would ceremonially get cleansed. And then they would don white clothes to symbolize that they have been forgiven. And as they make their way up the top of the mountain toward the temple, they would sing psalms of ascent. They're in our 
book of Psalms or, or songs of praise. And then they would literally roll the dice and they'd cast lots to see who out of those 750 would be the one chosen to serve. You only got this opportunity once in a lifetime. If your name was called, chosen, then you did your service, your name was scratched off the list, you could never do it again. Once in a lifetime. If you were the one chosen, your job was to light incense on the altar of the Lord and to pray to God on behalf of the people. And what are we told? Zechariah was chosen by Lot. This was his big moment. That one in 750 chance of a lifetime. He was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It was just a few moments. In one day of his life, Aren't you glad we don't have to wait years for an opportunity to have just a few moments in God's presence? That because of Jesus Christ, God's presence is with us wherever we go and for the rest of our lives. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, this would not be expected. Why was there an angel there? When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. It's like, yeah, you think? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. The most common command in all of Scripture Do not be afraid, do not fear, fear not, have no fear. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. That last phrase, so your prayer has been heard. You get the sense that Zechariah may have been praying this prayer for a long time, over and over, the prayer about the situation with him and his wife. Maybe he even stopped praying that prayer because now they're too old. The point is, God hears all of our prayers and God answers them. God answers all of our prayers in one of three ways. No, yes, or not yet. You know, the same is true of parent and child relationship. Mom, dad, it's dinner time. Can I eat? Yes. Mom, dad, it's bedtime. Can I have a Mountain Dew? No. Mom, dad, I'm eight years old. Can I drive? No, not yet. (laughs) That's for later. They've prayed a long time. And they thought the answer was what? They thought the answer was no. God said, actually, the answer was later. I need you to know that. Some some of your longings and, and desires and hopes, they're not ungodly. They're just unfulfilled and unmet. The answer may be no. The answer may be not yet. 
So the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. He's saying the world will be better with him in it. We should say that about our children and raise them with that gifting in mind, speaking life over them at every chance that we get. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, Herod was called Herod the Great. And here the angels say, No, your son John is going to be great. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. You know what that is? That's God knowing John while he's still in his mother's womb. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit you together in your mother's womb. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, let me pause here a minute and and share more about who Elijah is. Elijah was a prophet of God, an exceedingly faithful, powerful prophet of God. There are only two guys in the Bible who were simply taken up to heaven when their time on earth was done. There's no record of them dying. That was Enoch and Elijah. For Elijah, God sent a chariot. I mean, you can imagine when his time on earth was done, a limo arrives and takes Elijah directly into God's presence. That is a godly, spirit-filled person. So the angel Gabriel says, Zechariah, let me just let you know, your son will be used of God like Elijah. And I'll add, and with that comes hardship. For all the prophets before were outcasts, isolated, not listened to because they spoke God's truth and called people to repentance. See, the hardship is also for us. The world wants us to call people to tolerance. God wants us to call people to repentance. God will take you as you are, but he wants to change you. It seems that all that we want to focus on is the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God. But there's also the holiness of God, the justice of God, the commands of God. And those who bring that message are on a collision course with culture. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. It seems like we heard that recently. We did. Just two weeks ago when we read the last verse in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 6. In all of this, is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, for the coming of Jesus Christ. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? All right, you're talking to an angel. There are only two named ones in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. So this is one of the big dogs. 
And you're going to question, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. A euphemism for saying, well, she's not, you know, spring chicken either. The angel said to him, I know all this. You're not surprising me. I mean, what do you think? I didn't see the gray hair, the cane, and the glasses. That's not exactly what he said. He said, I am Gabriel. Let me give you my resume. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. And all the women said, amen. <laughs> and, when, and when Elizabeth learned of this, I'm sure she said, oh, Lord, you do hear and answer all prayers. <laughs> you will be silent and not able to speak until this day, until the day this happens. In other words, nine months, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Man, this is taking a long time. I know, right? I, I, know, he's, I know he's slow, but my goodness. Yeah, my knees hurt from being in this prayer position this whole time. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them and remained unable to speak. It's, it's like, you know, angel, wife, pregnant. It was like a bad game of charades, that and what Zechariah was doing. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Now Elizabeth is about to find out that the Lord's answer was... Not yet. It wasn't no. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. I guess when you know you're in the will of God, you don't need anyone else's approval. She was fine with it. She said, the Lord has done this for me. Maybe no one else would have paid her much attention. She had no notoriety, no particular social standing. She was elderly, poor, barren, living in a small town with a husband that no one outside of that town would have heard of. Maybe no one else would have paid her much attention, but God did. She's like, wow, the Lord noticed me. Do you know the Lord notices you? He knows your name. He knows your face. He knows the longing of your heart. He knows the future he has for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's, he's the Lord, a good father. And all you sons and daughters need to know that he looks at you. And then she said this. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Was Elizabeth a godly or ungodly woman? She was a godly woman. But what about her reputation? Was her reputation godly or ungodly? Actually, ungodly. Her reputation would have been. Because you see, in that culture, 
The reason that she was without child is because she had done something wrong. She had not been faithful to God. There was sin in her life, and therefore God was punishing her. There was a misunderstanding. And people are a product of their teaching. Some were apparently poorly taught. You have done something wrong. God's going to do something wrong. So it seems. You did something bad. God's going to do something bad to you. That's karma, not Christ. The community has written a story about Elizabeth's shame. And then God gets the last word. And he determines that this is not a story of disgrace. It is a story of redemption. This is a story of not him withholding his blessing, but multiplying his blessing. This had nothing to do with her ungodliness. It had been an opportunity all along for her to practice godliness. Some of you know your sins are forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But you don't know that your shame and disgrace is lifted because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He took on the shame. Look, I I love you. It's a great honor being your pastor. I constantly pray for you. And I think some of you are still living under that bondage of shame that someone, maybe that's even you, has told the story of your life in a way that is death-bringing, not life-giving. My encouragement to you is that if somebody puts that on you, just don't let it in you. Somehow Elizabeth was forced to wear this disgrace for decades. It was on her, but she didn't let it get in her. She knew this wasn't how God saw her nor felt about her. Some of you have shame because of the things that you've done, but God through the Holy Spirit today wants to take that shame off of you. You're not defined by what you've done. You're defined by what Jesus has done. Some of you have carried shame because of what others have done to you or said about you, and you carry that shame because that was the story of of your life that they wrote about you. But if it's not the story that God has written over you, the Holy Spirit today wants to take that shame off of you. You can literally experience a spiritual deliverance today. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. All that matters is what Jesus has done for you. He died for your sin He endured the cross. He took your sin and shame, and he brought you here today so you could bring your sin and give him your shame. I love that what we're about to do is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you get to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit the gift of being unburdened. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.